take our Bibles. We've been in the Gospel of Luke this season. We now circle back to Luke chapter 1. Our brother Seth has read Mary's song. We'll be in the section on why she is singing there in Luke 1. I would ask, as we get ready to come to the Scriptures, I would ask, how many of you have worked in the service industry or are working in the service industry? That can be many different things, from, from retail to restaurant um, to customer service, technical support. Really, we could put almost any um, profession under service industry. And the truth is, we usually don't like serving. But we'll do it for, to get paid. And so, I've seen several, my first, two oldest sons, now go work for Chick-fil-A in Salem, a great um, family there, um, gracious owners. But learning, I get to see my sons now learn customer service. And is the, the maximum right, is that the customer is always right? No, they're not always right. But they are to be attended to and cared for. Do you know you can get extra crispy waffle fries at Chick-fil-A? Did not know that. You can send them back and say, put them in the fryer one more time. Get them extra crispy. When I was in graduate school, um, before I taught high school, I worked at a company, Long Live It Soul, Circuit City. Some of you don't know this. This is Best Buy took out Circuit City years ago, and I was the technical service rep for them. And I would get a microphone just like I've got now, and I would, people would call in, and they'd buy a lot of equipment, and if I could verify their receipt, and because there was no YouTube or eHow or really the internet at that time, I would tell people how to hook up their equipment and make it work just by as I was browsing manuals and talking to them over the phone. That was frustrating, trying to talk to people without being there with them. I know that you're frustrated trying to serve on the Monday through Friday or even the different second hoodow shifts that you guys work. Why is serving so hard for us? Because we are proud and we are selfish. When we serve, someone else is in charge. And when we serve, we have to look to their interest above our own. Think on this as we come to this passage today in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. This is God's Word. This is a familiar passage. Hear it again fresh today by the Holy Spirit. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is a very familiar passage. How do we get it? This is a private conversation. There's only two people here. Mary and an angel from heaven. So how are we reading this from Luke, the Gospel writer? How did Luke record this? Luke was a careful historian who got his information from eyewitnesses. This is how he begins his Gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have accomplished, been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Luke has been following this story. He's heard it from eyewitnesses, and tradition says that he went and did journalistic interview with Mary herself. But please understand this about the nature of Holy Scripture, the Bible. It has human authorship. Luke writes about 25% of the New Testament by volume if you add Luke and Acts together. There are other 39 plus writers of Scripture over a period of 1,500 years. We have one Scripture of over 40 writers written over 1,500 years. And when you get together at the party, probably more when you were a kid and you try to do the telephone game, we can't even get one message passed around a circle. So how are we now taking 40 different writers over 1,500 years who are writing history and poetry and proverb and apocalyptic vision with different styles, but there's a unity of revelation? See, the Bible is not merely an anthology, but there's a unity which binds it together. How can that be? Because it is divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write exactly what God wanted written. These were not robots who went into a trance and just started having the pen start. These are real people who wrote with their personality coming through, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote exactly what God wanted us to know. Therefore, we can call it God's Word. And do you believe this about the Bible? And as Luke writes that Theophilus would have certainty, do you have certainty of this? See, this isn't a quilt where you can just read the Bible and pick out the patches you like and then sew it back together. You can see that. Go to the Smithsonian and see the Thomas Jefferson Bible where Thomas Jefferson wants to cut out the supernatural, cut out the resurrection, and just put the moral teachings of Christ in a patchwork. Bible of his liking. This is not a buffet to kind of go down the line and put on the plate what you like and keep off what you do not like. And see, this is the lie of secular progressivism which says that we are now 
progressing or we're now evolving and that we're now morally superior to anything of the past. Because you know what happens when we are morally superior to anything of the past? Your Bible has no authority then. It's sexist. It's archaic. It's to be dismissed. Now we can go back and maybe pick out a few things of Jesus we like. But we're dismissing the the Bible on its own terms. You either believe the Bible, its authority, its revelation, or you do not. Now there will be different types of interpretation. How do we understand the old and the new together? That, those are hearty discussions. But we cannot have those discussions if we don't trust the authority of Scripture. Derek, why the, the side note here on the nature of Scripture? Because we're coming to a private conversation with a virgin and an angel, and it sounds crazy. And do you believe it? An angel has been dispatched from heaven to small town Nazareth to talk to a teenage girl who's a virgin. Now, this is how our faith is. It sounds crazy when you say it out loud. We just don't kind of assume, and this is what's going on. So Luke gives us details as a good historian. Look at this. Markers of time, geographical setting, names, and relationships. It was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy here. The angel Gabriel, who had actually been already to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, he was sent from God to a city of Galilee and Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. You want to know a little bit about him? He was from the house of David. Her name was Mary. He's a careful historian setting this up geographically, um, relationally, temporally. He's already visited Zechariah on the job in the temple. So I know you and your, your wife, you've loved the Lord. You've been barren. You're, you're advanced in years. Luke would write. And you're, you're not going to have a son. You're going to call him John. An angel. We come right out of the gates with an angel. I mean, do, do you either believe the Bible or you don't. Do you believe in angels? Do you think angels are real? What does the Bible teach us about angels? That these This order of heavenly beings, they're holy and uncorrupted in original essence. These perfectly holy beings, they have personhood. This angel's name is Gabriel. We also find another angel in Scripture whose name is Michael. They have names, personhood. They have free will and are able to be tempted to sin and to fall. So there's a host of fallen angels which we call demons. And there's no salvation for fallen angels. Christ did not go to save angels, but to fallen humanity. It's not to angels that Jesus helps, but the offspring of Abraham, Hebrews 2. And this is something that angels long to look into, 1 Peter 1. Their primary service is to worship God in the heavenly realm. And the multitude of angels is worshiping God. And then they serve God with purposes here on earth. Sodom and Gomorrah, they come and bring judgment. They give military assistance to Israel's army. They minister aid. They bring news and glad tidings. They're both there at the birth of Jesus and at his resurrection. This angel Gabriel, look, was sent from God. Luke does not tell us the spatial terms. He does not say from heaven. 
but in the source term, from God. God is the sender. Gabriel is the messenger. God is creator. Gabriel is but a creature. God is the Lord. Gabriel is but a servant. God alone is to be worshipped. God alone is to be obeyed. And do you remember again, if we believe our Bibles and the Apostle John was on the island of Patmos suffering and he had this fantastical vision of, of redemptive history and how it's going to come to close. I fell down at the feet of an angel to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. John did that twice. Chapter 19 and chapter 22 of Revelation. Gabriel is sent from God. If we've not remembered that this day, let us remember God alone is creator. We are but creatures. It's in him that we live and move or have our being. We don't exist beyond God. God alone is the Lord. We are but servants of his will. But my question is, do we like being servants do we like having someone else in control and telling us where to go and how to do it? See, Gabriel was sent from God, but to where and to whom? Luke gives a lot of detail here. He went to Nazareth and Galilee, but to whom? A virgin. She's not been with a man sexually. And let me say this, sexual purity is not the highest virtue, but it is an expression of godliness and of trust in God's good design. It's not the highest virtue, but it is an expression of godliness. And so we should not surrender godliness to prevailing culture. We should not heap on condemnation because the grace of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ heals and brings new and what has the sexual revolution given us as we've rejected this virtue, this sense of godliness? Has it given us liberation or has it given us bondage to sin? The scarring of souls, the addiction to pornography, over 50 million abortions since 1973. We're so liberated. But do you see how in bondage we are? This is significant. We'll understand why this is to a virgin here in a few verses. She's betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph. She was of marriageable, marriageable age, which in that culture was older than 12. I don't know if I would have been a good dad in that culture. <laughs> I'm having a hard time being one in this culture. Um, older than 12. So... Maybe 13, 14, maybe 15 or 16. That's the age of my girls. Mary is but a teenager, most likely. She's betrothed. That carries more legal weight than our engagements of our culture. Legally, at the time of a betrothal, Mary is Joseph's wife, even though the marriage is not consummated. Any child born to Mary would be regarded as Joseph's as if 
his when he cares for this child. That's very important because we come to the next phrase. Joseph was of the house of David. This is significant because God's got some big promises to David and to his lineage that from his line would come the Messiah King. Her name was Mary. Look at verse 28. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, old favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled. Try to discern what sort of greeting this might be. You've got to know if you're dispatched from heaven and you're going to small town Nazareth, you've got to like make an entry that's got to greetings. The Lord is with you. You're kind of trying to reassure this young lady that well, I've got an incredible message. I don't even understand what the Lord's doing here, but I've got a message to tell you. The Lord is with you. This is the language of the Old Testament of being chosen for a special purpose. There's going to be divine resources and protection given to her. She's going to have a special privilege. She is perplexed. What is this going to mean? Gabriel's got to be perplexed. Like, your beloved son is going to do what? God, our Father. And then are we not perplexed? The Lord God dispatches an angel to make an announcement to a virgin in small town Nazareth. But this is the will of the Lord. There's not favor and blessing to a rich or a wise scribe's daughter in the holy city of Jerusalem, but to Mary, a humble young woman, a teenager, betrothed to a carpenter and planning a humble life together. Two more side notes, if you allow me. Can I just say that marriage is a gift to humankind? It's not good for man to be alone, and so God gave us marriage as the first human institution, one man and one woman, one lifetime, to be one flesh. It is good, and it's for our joy, it's for our good, it's for the multiplication of humankind, it's, it's for the betterment and foundation of our society, it's for the rich and poor alike, it's for big city and small people alike. What are Mary and Joseph thinking in these days as they're planning a wedding, a life together. People of humble means. He's a carpenter. She's a teenage girl. Now betrothed to him. Can I also say that God shows no partiality? He's not impressed by our wealth. He created it all. He's not impressed by our roles or our statuses or our titles because he rules over us all. He saves rich and poor alike, big cities and small towns. And in the revelation of grace for the redemption of sinners, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Please get this. Mary is not more virtuous than any other woman there on earth. Now, I know she had a heart of faith and she was living a humble life and worship unto God. She was a, I'm sure she was a lovely, fine lady, but just as you are lovely, fine folk there too. But there was nothing in her life that merited this special calling to be the mother of the Son of God. Mary is favored because she is chosen of God. That is grace. 
she is favored not because something she did, but because God chose her. Do you think you are more blessed or more favored by God because you've done something good or done something right? Is there some virtue or merit that you are trying to pile together and show God, please show me your favor? And if that is you, and if that's your heart trying to be good enough, I want to ask, how good is good enough? Because I contend that my biggest struggle, and I would say the biggest struggle of of most, is realizing the grace of God. We profess faith in Christ, but we are often too much trying to perform for God. We think, we, all right, we believe it, we make a decision, we'll raise our hand, but then we go back to performing, thinking that God's favor to us is based on our performance. Now there are principles of discipline and blessing and walking in the wisdom of God that have consequence in our life. But the grace of God is by the grace of God. Some of us who are proud will say this, well, if I do blank, God will love me more or bless me more. That's the proud among us and the despairing among us will say this, God could never love me because I'm not good enough. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How is this salvation going to even be accomplished? We're going to come to that. But I want you to know this. Mary is favored of God because she's chosen by God. God's favor is by God's grace, not our goodness. I'm sure she was a lovely, fine young lady. But some of you are lovely, fine folk. And we all need God's grace The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Put yourself in the tension here again of this moment. A heavenly being having private conversation with a small town teenage girl. She's perplexed and anxious. He's reassuring her again of her favor. Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And he's now going to announce the nature of this favor this is a private conversation this doesn't get tweeted out this doesn't go as an instagram post this is there's no ultrasound photo to now go public with this is a private announcement from a heavenly being to attain his virgin and this is the favor please hear this again behold you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son you shall call his name jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will be reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will be no end. This Jesus, this son to be born, to be conceived in her womb, is the fulfillment of all God's promises for the glory of God, for the redemption of sinful humanity, and the reconciliation of all things to himself. The hopes and fears of of all the years, are now being met in Jesus. He's the promised Messiah King from the line of David. For generations, we've heard these words of Isaiah, but who would this be? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
And of the richness of his government of peace, there will be no end. And of his throne of David. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a very curious prophecy in Isaiah. Because it sounds like it's a human being born. For us, a child is, is born. But what child gets to be called mighty God? What child gets to be called the Prince of Peace? Who's going to sit on the throne of David and rule, but be called Mighty God? Jesus is God with us. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And Matthew adds, which means God with us. Jesus is this long-expected Messiah King in the fulfillment of all Testament types and prophecies. He's the one like the Son of Man in the prophecy of the vision that Daniel saw. He's the one we've waited from from Eve who's going to crush the heel of the serpent. He's the one who's going to be a, a greater prophet than Moses. He's all these fulfillments. But as we hear Gabriel's announcement, we naturally think, oh, this is a a nationalistic, socio-political fervor. We're going to get Israel restored. Do you hear what Gabriel is saying? We've been waiting for this for generations, and now it's coming to pass. What is Mary's question in verse 34? Did she ask, so how is my son going to become king? How does my son be get be called the son of the most high sweet mary she just she's going back to the original part of the the very first part of the announcement how will this be i'm a virgin not she's not clarifying his coming kingdomship she's asking how will this be you will conceive in your womb and bear a son Teenage girls, what are you thinking about this? You know, visit from heaven. You're the one who is now going to be the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. You're the one in Isaiah 7. You're the only girl who gets to go back home and say, I'm still a virgin, but I'm pregnant. Only one girl gets to go back home and be the fulfillment of that. Here is my quest, question. Is the belief in the virgin conception and birth of Jesus necessary for faith? Did she have to be a virgin? Some of you have grown up in churches which have recited the Apostles' Creed and week after week or very often you would say, I believe in God the Father, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the virgin Mary. I mean, don't be surprised when the world thinks this sounds crazy. I mean, even over a decade ago, Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times wrote this, the faith in the virgin birth reflects the way American Christianity is becoming less intellectual and more mystical over time. More mystical over time? Brother, we've been believing that for 2,000 years. We're not becoming more mystical or less intellectual 
We're just rejecting this critical theory. I got birthed out of Germany, turn of the 1900s. But what about you? Do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? And do you understand why it's necessary for faith? Let me well, Derek, well, couldn't Jesus still do what he did and not be born of a virgin? What are you going to answer? You're curious. I mean, the, the non-believer, but he's curious about your faith. How are you going to answer that? And I would say that if he's not born of a virgin, he doesn't have the nature to do what he needed to do. The virgin birth made it possible for the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. Now let's play hypothetical. Maybe, maybe God could just be up there in heaven and God the Father could be in heaven and create a human being that's perfect and then star trucking, beaming down to earth to begin public ministry. Why would that not work? Why could we not just have a perfect human being made in heaven and sent to earth? We wouldn't have been descended from Adam. He wouldn't have been descended from Abraham. He wouldn't have been descended from David. He wouldn't have been the fulfillment of these promises and prophecies to these historical figures in the way that God has worked. And he wouldn't have experienced all the fullness and frailty of our humanity. He wouldn't be able to sympathize us with us in our weaknesses. If he's not born like us, well, Derek, why couldn't, why couldn't we just take a, why couldn't God just choose one human being and then just put the divine nature on that human being and just kind of add it after birth or even after conception? He wouldn't have been sinless. He would have been born with a sin nature. He would have, been in, he would have inherited the sin nature which we all have. The virgin birth made it possible for the uniting of the full deity and the full humanity in one person. But how? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus was conceived when the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin Mary. He didn't get any sin from Joseph. And the Holy Spirit also blocked any sin inheritance from Mary. Jesus is two full natures in one person. He is fully God and He is fully human. One person. And why did He need to be human? Because only a human can atone for the sin of humans. Only a human can take the place that's due human sin. And so it was necessary for our salvation that the mediator, Savior of our souls be human. But only God is perfect, holy and without sin. And so it was necessary for our mediator, Savior to be divine. So in the incarnation, when God takes on flesh, we see the fullness of the deity fully dwelling, bodily dwelling. We, th we should think on this more. That God took on flesh. That He lived, a, and we, we know the verses, He dwelt among us and He was full of grace and truth. But do you meditate on those verses? 
that our creator became like us creature? Do you meditate that he died in the flesh, breathed his last, the perfect sacrifice and death for the judgment of our sin? And then as he said in fulfillment of Scripture, he was raised in the flesh, in human flesh from the dead in victory over sin, death, and evil. See, born this day is our Lord and Savior, but he's born to come and die and ransom us from our sin. Do you believe this good news? Gabriel continues, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. She's in her sixth month. She who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, but Mary didn't request a sign. How, she, didn't, she just asked for explanation. How can this be? Nevertheless, Gabriel gives her even a sign. Your relative, dear Elizabeth, advanced in years, she's got a son. She's six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for Almighty God who has perfect and complete power to fulfill all His purposes and promises. Allow me to quote J.C. Ryle again, whom I love reading along in my study of Scripture. Our faith is at best very feeble. Our knowledge at its highest is clouded with much infirmity. Among the many anecdotes to a doubting, anxious, questioning mind, few will be found more useful than the one before us. A thorough conviction of the almighty power of God. Faith never rests so calmly and peacefully as it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. When your faith feels so weak and strained and straining, think again on God's power, for nothing is impossible with God. And so do we think often on the power of God? When life is anxious and life is despairing and we have doubts. I know you're asking, does God know my suffering? Does God hear my prayers? Can God really, can God really do anything? If you are all-powerful God, then show me your power. Have you gotten honest enough to just pray out, scream out at God? Like, do you see me here suffering? Do you know my heart? Show me your power. And so we want powers of displays of power. And God comes to us in virgin birth. He comes to us in small town obscurity. He goes public after three decades to proclaim the kingdom of God. And with three mere years of proclamation, he's crucified on a Roman cross. Tell me again of the power of God that we want. That seems like weakness. That seems like foolishness, but this is the wisdom of God displayed. This is the power of God for our salvation. Nothing will be impossible with God. Please remember, God's favor to us is by His grace and not our goodness. Don't try harder. Don't try to be better. As if you think that's going to be the switch. Think again on the power of God. And by grace, pray honestly before God. We need to walk in wisdom. We need to walk in the, the ways He's given us. But this is grace and grace alone by which we are saved. How would you expect someone to respond to such an announcement? 
even less a teenage young lady. Let verse 38 humble you. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She didn't raise further objections. She didn't ask any further questions. She simply and humbly postures herself as a servant of the Lord. She simply and humbly submits herself to God's word. She's accepting the Lord's favor. She's accepting God's grace. Sometimes we're even so proud, we, don't, we just reject it because we want it on our terms. But some of you may be asking, like, well, why wouldn't she? Of course she would accept this. Who wouldn't want to be the, call, the calling of this privilege and honor be the mother of Jesus? Ladies, I would ask you, would, would you want her life if you could trade it? Oh, that was a quick answer. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't want her life, huh? Oh, didn't you hear Seth read her song? All generations will call me blessed. You don't want that, huh? The lie of the devil is that someone else is living a better life than you. That God has overlooked you while others are living a fulfilling, happy life given to them by the Lord. You're getting scraps and leftovers is what we believe. But do you know the suffering of Mary to have such a great calling? The anxiety of starting to show in the coming weeks and months before family and friends. That awkward conversation with Joseph. Not sure when that happened, when he got his angel vision in a dream. Small town gossip. Being pregnant before marriage. Maybe not a big deal in our culture, but that's a big deal in that culture. Confusion. Trying to remember that this is actually what happened just in the ordinary days of toddlerhood, childhood. Feeling of a distance and maybe even rejection when he went public in ministry. Who are my mother and who's my brothers? Jesus, would, would this, this, this wedding needs to get livened up. Can you do something here? Woman, it's not my time. The grief in seeing him arrested her son, beaten, crucified, dead. We're going to be just eight days later after his birth. She's going to be told this by Simeon. A sword will pierce through your own soul. Luke chapter 2. So the truth of this fallen world is we all suffer. But here's my question. Do you know the Lord's favor and call to you in Christ Jesus? Are you content to be the clay and let God be the potter? Is the Lord our chosen portion? Is He our lot? Do you believe that He holds your life until the lines are fallen for you in pleasant places? Psalm 16. See, God alone is the Creator and we are but creatures by His will. God alone is the Lord and we are but servants of His will. Are you, we read of Mary, but are you simply and humbly submitting yourself to His Word and His will? And is it our faith and our joy to be servants of the Most High God? Is this really what we want to hear at the end of our life? Well done, good and faithful servant. But we're too proud and selfish to want to be servants. But that's where eternal commendation is and to the joy of our Master. 
Why do we not want to be servants? We know better. Prefer to be in charge and be the master. I don't know if I can trust God's word. I don't know if I can delight in his will. Ultimately, I just want to be in control. And you don't want to know where people in control are going? Headlong into hell. Eternal condemnation because they are living it their way. They are wise in their own eyes and they're going to live it according to their ways. And so we need salvation. And here comes the God-man, Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, even let's not esteem Mary to, to some veneration. It's the one she, we, we honor as we should honor one another in mutual submission. But it's she who now carries. She is, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. But who is she carrying? A servant of the Lord Himself. She would give birth to the long-expected Messiah King, the Son of the Most High, who Himself was the servant of the Lord. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on the journey. Truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, the strength might grow weak, and that the healer might be wounded, and that life might die. God took on flesh to serve us in obedience to His Father. Is this your faith? Do you have grace from God to believe this good news? Even this faith is a gift of God, not something we've merited. May God give us grace to be His servants according to His Word. We serve because He first served us. And do not forget this. Nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray.